Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. If you have a Bible, we're going to read from Acts chapter 8, the 8th chapter of, uh, of Acts as we've been making our way through this book, asking the question, how in the world does the gospel spread um, to the world? Uh, just a few, a few followers of Jesus when he is crucified and uh, Christianity becomes a, um, a faith that is adopted by people everywhere you go in the whole world. That's not true of any other um, faith in the world. What happened um, to, to, uh, to spread Christianity to the world. Uh, before I dig in, I do want to um, just uh, invite you to join with me in congratulating Sam Jones. Remember little Sam Jones grew up with Adam and Ann in our church, annoying Sam Jones. You remember him growing up and a still somewhat annoying Sam Jones? And, um, uh, and then Sam uh, went off uh, to uh, Barry College and he met a lovely young girl, which has made him much less annoying and um, much more. So the Jones are celebrating. It was just a, a little over a month ago. They um, said their vows together in Rome. I mean, how romantic is that? They got married in Rome, Georgia. Um, and uh, so uh, Sam and Lori are here. So would you guys stand up and let us just celebrate the Joneses? Uh, Good news. Adam and Ann's boy came home with a girl. All right. Wonderful. Good stuff. Hey, the, by the way, there's food after, in case I forget to tell you, at the end of the service, got a little food outside. So hang out out there and uh, get to meet these guys and, and their, uh, get uh, some information on uh, their mission all right, let's read God's word. If you're able and willing, why don't you stand? We're on um, Acts chapter um, 8. We're going to start at the 26th verse. How in the world does the gospel spread everywhere in the whole world? Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And Philip rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Now you get in this scene, this is great. There's a guy in a chariot out in the middle of the desert. And God says to Philip, go over to that chariot. Now what's the problem? You think the chariot's parked? <laughs> the chariot's moving. And uh, as the chariot is moving, God says to Philip, run alongside of it. Go, go intersect with the chariot and run alongside. So just picture this um, scene. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah. 
Can you imagine? He's reading the Bible. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip says. And the Ethiopian says, how can I unless someone guide me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he's reading was this. It's taken from Isaiah. He was reading Isaiah 53. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. He's wondering, who is this enigmatic figure that the prophet Isaiah is speaking of? Michael Hart came and we read this passage already in in the service here. And, And Isaiah is saying, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? In other words, who can describe his family, his offspring? He has none, for his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you does the prophet say this? Is, is Isaiah talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. They never saw each other again. He was on his way back to Africa. But Philip found himself at Azotus and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Father, would you um, help us? Uh, We're thick-headed and our hearts are often hard to the most beautiful and the most important things. Uh, Lord, will you cause uh, the hearing of your word by your Holy Spirit to remind us of the day that you interrupted our lives the day that your grace um, burst into our lives and transformed us, converted us, made us new. And Lord, would you make us messengers of this grace to our hungry, desperate world? Would you do it? Help us, Jesus. Help us right now. We, We don't have long attention spans in our culture. We're about to think about everything other than your word and you, unless you pour out your Holy Spirit and help us. So Spirit of the living God, would you make Seven Rivers Church a place where people meet you and they're converted? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Do be seated, please. So Chuck Colson was a uh, Harvard-trained attorney. He had a a successful private um, law career, and even as a young man, he actually made his way um, into the White House where he was the chief counsel of the President of the United States. Um, That's gotta be a pretty heady thing, you know, to go to work every day uh, in the White House where you're counseling the President uh, of the United States. Um, He did it. for a whole term, he helped the president uh, get reelected. It was a historic uh, reelection. Um, his uh, um, ship was really um, sailing um, high, and um, 
he, he was starting to think of life outside politics in the White House, so he went to a mentor of his and uh, as they were to, to get some counsel. And as they were talking, he just stopped and said to this um, older man, something's different about you. Something's changed. What is it? And the older uh, man said, I've made Jesus my Lord and my Savior, and it's changed everything in my life. And Colson said, I'm from New England. I'm not from the South. We don't talk about religion. Religion's private. Um, we don't talk about our feelings. We don't talk about, I, I'm very uncomfortable with him introducing this even to this conversation about our vocations. And, um, but it was a number of months later that he got invited to this man's house and Colson said when we were there and, and, and after dinner got a time with a gentleman alone and he said, I, I gotta ask, tell me more what in the world do you mean that you made Jesus your Lord and Savior and it's changed everything about your life. And the man told him his story. He read a little from the Bible. He actually read a little from C.S. Lewis. And um, Colson said when he left, he got in his car, he barely got out of the driveway when he pulled off the side of the road and he began to weep uncontrollably for an hour He's, um, he's sobbing in his car. And it, you know, he, he said to himself, I'm a Marine Corps captain, I don't cry. I was a tough guy in the White House. In the midst of all these tears, I cried out to God and I said, I wanna be clean. I want a new marriage. I wanna know you. Now he said he was very embarrassed even by himself with all this emotion pouring. He was sure he would wake up the next morning and say, what in the world was that? I mean, that's like the weakest, dumbest moment of my whole life. He said, the truth was, when I woke up the next morning, I felt renewed. I felt new. I felt more alive than I ever had in my whole life. You know what that's called? That's called conversion. This church is about conversion. In Acts, what do we see? Conversions. We see thousands of Jews. Jesus dies, there's, there's maybe a hundred followers of his, that's all. And when um, Jesus ascends to heaven after his resurrection, his ascension, he pours out the Holy Spirit, thousands of Jews are converted. Then last week, Brandon talked about the gospel going to the Samaritans. Now we're going to read about the gospel going to an African, and next week we're gonna talk about the gospel going to the greatest persecutor of the church, to a man named Saul. Conversions, conversions are taking part. Um, the, 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 the church is exploding and is gonna explode around the world on the basis of conversions. This is how Christianity spread then, it's how it spreads now, Seven Rivers exists for conversions. You can build a church and be called successful. You can have a lot of people. They can give a lot of money. You can build nice facilities. You can have wonderful programs and have no conversions. Convert, you could just gotta gather up, you can gather up people, right? You can gather up Christians. You can even have non-Christians come who think they're Christians. And uh, you can have a lot of people and it can all look successful and healthy and good, but it's not if there's not conversions. This church is about conversions. A benchmark for this church is not what's your attendance, it's not you know, what you're giving, it's not this, it's not that, it's not how many people are in small groups, it's our people being converted. 
We want to see children converted, right? That's why we have a camp. That's why we have a, a children's ministry. That's why we have a student ministry. That's why we have a Christian school. That's why we have a preschool, right? We want to see children converted to faith in Jesus Christ, but we also want to see their grandparents converted, right? Um, we want to see school teachers converted, but we also want to see principals and coaches and cafeteria workers converted. We want to see fundamentalist, King James-only Bible Baptist converted, but we also want to see Catholics converted, and hardest of all, hard-hearted, proud, cold Presbyterians converted. We want to see Trump lovers converted, and we want to see CNBC watchers converted. We want vaxxers and non-vaxxers converted. They'll still fight with each other, but we want them converted. Um, we want to see pickup truck drivers and Tesla um, drivers converted. We want to see people who are uh, trailer park residents and Terra Vista residents converted, right? We want to see God work by his Holy Spirit because we live in a day of what's called deconversion, where many people who say, I was a Christian. I'm going the opposite direction. I'm not going from unbelief to belief. I'm going from belief to unbelief, right? I was a Christian. I was raised a Christian. I grew up in the church a Christian, but I'm deconverting. I'm going the other way. Now, don't, don't be fooled. Nobody who was ever a Christian becomes a non-Christian. It's not possible. If you actually belong to Jesus, it's because he chose you, he loved you, he transformed you, and he never changes his mind, right? He doesn't get to know you better than think, well, we all make mistakes. Um, uh, thankfully, it doesn't go that way, right? But we live in a world with increasing hostility towards Christianity. There's great social pressure not to be a Christian. But guess what? That's the very environment in which Christianity thrives, real Christianity. This is the great moment for conversions. Whatever hostility we have now, it's not even close to the hostility that existed right at the birth of the church that we're reading about in Acts, right? Christianity's illegal. Christians are being murdered and persecuted, right? It's in an environment of hostility that Christianity surges forward with conversions. You with me? So are you converted? Could have gone to church all your life and not be converted. Are you converted? You ready to go? Here we go, right? So... First thing we want to talk about is um, who are the messengers, right? If, if, if people are going to become followers of Jesus and be converted, who actually gets the message to them? Conversions exploded around the Mediterranean and around the world because the entire church became involved as missionaries, evangelists, carriers of the story. Now, you know what happened is um, Jesus dies, he's resurrected, he goes to heaven and uh, they, they killed Jesus, but that didn't stop the movement. In fact, it starts to take off. So they begin to harass the apostles, right? They begin to arrest them. We've studied this in Acts. They begin to throw them in prison. They begin to make their lives miserable. But then there's a huge turning point. That doesn't work, so they do what? They kill somebody, right? They kill Stephen. It's a public execution. Stephen's not one of the 12. He's not an apostle. He's not a big shot. So now with the killing of Stephen, what do we know? It's not just gonna, they're not just gonna go after the, the bigwigs. Any Christian, right? Any Christian is in the crosshairs. And so what happens is it says at the beginning of chapter eight that, that, that Saul 
becomes a maniac, a terrorist against the church. He's savagely attacking the church. He's entering the homes. He's dragging out women and children to their death. And so the entire church flees. Historians say 10 to 20,000 Christians would have um, run for their lives out of Jerusalem. You know, this is strategic, right? Because if you were in Jerusalem and you had a friend and you wanted them to know about Jesus, what would you do? You bring them to one of the apostles, bring them to the expert, right? And, 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 and let them hear the apostles teach or preach or whatever. Now there are no apostles. The apostles are in hiding. They're underground. They're eventually all going to be executed, right? And one of the ones who scattered was named Philip. Philip's not a, a pro, but spreading the word about Jesus is no longer preacher work. It's everyone's job. So you know where this is leading, right? Who are the messengers? Yeah, it's not the preachers. It's actually the nurses, right, who go to Czechoslovakia. And it's, uh, and it's people who have communication degrees that go to Czechoslovakia. It's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's not the preachers. Everyone's a messenger. Every Christian a missionary. Every member is in the conversion business. Everybody responsible to grow God's family. It's genius. God's genius to deploy so many people. Why? Why is that genius? Because you're more relatable, right? I'm a preacher. I've been a preacher for 38 years. I've been in ministry for 48 years. Listen, you don't have to do it for very long before you know that the minute as a preacher you walk into a room and enter a conversation, the whole room is chilled. I mean, when I'm talking to people and we're relating uh, together, it's re we're relating well together, we're opening up to each other, we're having a good conversation. If they happen to ask, what's your vocation? If I tell them what my vocation is, that's the end. That's the end. They're not gonna, they're, you can just see like a cone of silence descends uh, on top of them. Um, but guess what? It's the addict who converts the addict. It's not the preacher who converts the addict. I don't know what it's like to be an addict. I don't know what it's like to be in the throes of addiction. But you know what? There's a lot who have been there and they've been rescued by Jesus and they come alongside other addicts, right? Steve Brown used to say, it takes a drunk to heal a drunk, right? Um, just consider, it's a young mom who reaches the young mom, right? Uh, that she meets at her child's preschool. It's the roofer who shares Jesus with another roofer, right? Uh, the, the, take a roofing crew, the average roofing crew. How many of them you think are in church on weekend, right? How many of them know a preacher? How many of them want to know a preacher, right? But guess what? There's somebody, there's a group of guys who work with them every day. They eat lunch together, they sweat together, they labor together, they spend more time together than, than they spend with their wives or their families or their girlfriends. And if you're one of them and you have the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you're right there, you're in their world, right? So not only are you guys more relatable, you're scattered. I've lived here 38 years and I've never been invited to preach at Duke Energy. I've never been invited to preach at Seven Rivers Hospital. I've never been invited to preach at Inverness Middle School. I've never been in, invited to preach to the um, Neighborhood Associations of Sugar Mill Woods. Thank you, Jesus. And um, <laughs> I'm not invited, right? But you guys live there. You work there. Wherever you go during the day, you're deployed out there all over the community, right? In a way that the preachers aren't. Here's how the gospel spreads around the world. 
is when God's people begin to realize it's not the pros that do this work. It's all of us, all in. Now, some of you are sitting here saying, okay, okay, I, I get it, good point, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's our job, but here's the problem. I don't have any energy for evangelism. Sometimes I'm not even sure I believe that much myself. My life's so broken, I don't think I'm the, I don't think I'm the one that's gonna be the, the carrier of the goodness. Here's what I wanna say. Don't you realize that it's adversity? It's actually in adversity is the great opportunity. That's what we're reading about, right? These people all ran for their lives. These people lost their homes, they lost their livelihood, they lost their jobs, they lost everything because they were followers of Jesus. Their lives could not have been more harried and difficult. And they're the ones who brought the message. By the way, this is very personal. They not only brought the message to their people around the Mediterranean, they brought the message to you. How do you think it ever got here? They brought it all the way to you, all through the ages, and the worst of circumstances. So guess what? You can say, um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a woman in our church and, and she talked to me recently, she said, I can't, we can't go to church anymore. We're just too frail, we're in this uh, uh, senior living facility, um, we're on lockdown half the time, you know. And uh, um, she said, but let me tell you what I do. She said, I get 50 devotionals and I walk through the whole building and I give every single person here a devotional. And then I walk through the next week and ask them how they're enjoying it, if they're using it, and if they could. Uh... And she said, not only that, there's a Bible study here, so I round up people every week to go to the Bible study. You see what I mean? I wouldn't even be allowed in that place uh, during the COVID for the last year and a half. And even if I was allowed in, I don't live there. She lives there. And she's an evangelist to the whole place. You got it? She could say, I'm so old, I can't even go to church, I can hardly get around. Meanwhile, she's doing the work, right? Um, heard a woman say this week that uh, I've gotta go to chemo, and I'm gonna be taking chemo for quite some time, but you know the great thing about chemo? So she's got cancer, her life is threatened, seriously threatened. She said, you know the great thing about chemo is when I'm in that room, I'm just like everybody else in that room because they're all getting chemo too. And, uh, and they're all trapped in there and we all got to sit in there for hours. And, uh, and guess what? I mean, I get to tell them about Jesus and they can't get away. <laughs> and you know, you know what she's saying? I am sitting at death's door. I am sitting right at the doorway to eternity and most of us in that room are gonna walk through it soon. All of us are gonna walk through it someday. But, but everybody in that room may be headed through that door really soon, and I've got Jesus, and if they don't, God gave me cancer to be the messenger to those people. Isn't that, doesn't that make your heart leap? God has his people everywhere doing this work. So beautiful. And then you say, okay, 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 I get it, I get it, Pastor. But I'm, I'm just not gifted with words and ability, and I don't know what to say. Um, and that's why we hired Michael Hart. He's going to teach you what to say. Um, and we're going to, uh, as pastors, we don't think we've done a good enough job of teaching you that. And we're, we're going to be at that in January, in February, in March. And so, uh, but, but I want to tell you something. It, even then, you know what you're going to find out? You'll never have the right word. There is no key you can slide in there that just causes hearts to open. 
Jesus does that. God does that, just like he did it in your life, right? And he does it through the most unexpected. He said, come on. God says to Philip, go out to the desert. And what does he find in the desert? A chariot with an African in it, right? And, uh, and then he says, run up alongside the chariot. And he runs alongside the chariot, and the guy's reading the Bible. I mean, talk about God just teeing it up for you. You don't need to do anything. I mean, he's reading the Bible. Not only that, he's reading Isaiah 53, an Old Testament passage about Jesus. And not only that, he says, I don't get this. Could you help me? I mean, even we could have done that, right? I mean, God does this. God converts people. And you know, you know the greatest thing about being a Christian? We don't have special talents, gifts, or abilities. You know the greatest thing about it is? We get to watch God do this. And we get to participate. And he lets us. Diane and I got married. We're little kids. We're, you know, 21 years old. We moved to Milburn, New Jersey. We went there to help start a church. For one of the first weeks of the church, we're meeting in a, um, um, we're meeting in a little park building in Taylor Park in Milburn. And a woman comes in and she sits in front of us in the, in the uh, service. Could have been, you know, 15, 20 people there. And uh, Diane initiates a conversation with her. I, I don't actually remember that, but I think the odds are Diane initiates the conversation. And, um, and uh, we end up going to lunch with her. We discover she lives with her boyfriend. He's abusive. Um, we invite her to come live with us in our studio apartment um, uh, for a short time. And um, she comes to Jesus. She meets Jesus. Um, what did we do? You know, she walked in and sat right in front of us in church. We just said hi. And we had lunch together. And uh, God just delivers people. He'll deliver people to you. There's people all around us, right? And uh, they're people he intends to convert. So a couple years ago, Diane and I are in New Jersey. So it's Sunday and we said, let's go find that church. So we uh, found that church in Milburn. Covenant Presbyterian Church is still there. And um, we walked in. It was so much fun. Because they said, you guys are visitors, right? Yeah, we said, we're visitors. They said, have, have you ever been here before? Oh, yeah, we've been here before. They said, when, when, like, when was the last time you were here? 40 years ago. <laughs> They're like, 40 years ago. But you know what they said? Well, then you must know Valerie. One of the happiest reunions of my whole life. There sat Valerie Marquetta 40 years later, still in the same church, still in love with Jesus. God does this. We get to watch it. All right, so we're the messengers. Secondly, let's talk about inclusivity is conversion. Who are the recipients, right? If we're the messengers, who receives it? And one thing I want us to see in this passage is it's a surprise here because our, and God's telling us that he'll never let us populate his family with the people we want in his family. We keep making up a list of the people we want at the eternal party, right? We're going to the feast in glory. That's why I love Thanksgiving. It's a picture. That's why I love the Lord's Supper. It's a picture. We're going to a feast. We're going to feast together with our eternal family. 
Um, and we keep drawing up a list of the people we want there. And then God texts us and say, uh, there's some people I want you to invite. I don't want those people there. God says, I, I don't care. It's my party. Um, it, God has an entirely different list than we do. And it's much more inclusive than we'd imagine. God said in Acts 1, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so far, the, the conversions were all in Jerusalem and Judea. And then Philip went to Samaria. That's astounding. Uh, 1,000 years of enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans. Jews would have said to God, we don't want Samaritans in heaven. We don't wanna do eternity with Samaritans. If that's hell, as far as we're concerned. So we don't want them. Remember, remember there's a guy named Jonah? God said, Jonah, I want you to go to where? Nineveh. And remember what Nineveh said to God? I don't want those people in your family. I know you, God. I know the kind of stuff you do. You'll have grace on those people. Those are the barbarians of the earth. Those are the most wicked people have ever lived, but you'll love them and you'll convert them. And then I'm gonna have to spend eternity with them. And Jonah, God says, Nineveh's over there. Jonah went over there. Jonah ran the exact opposite way. And, and God was rather persuasive with Jonah, wasn't he? Um, Philip seems to be one of the first to grasp this is the plan. This has always been the plan. This is why he created Israel, that all the nations were to flock to Israel. But instead, they hoarded it for themselves, right? God sends Philip to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Where do you think they would have considered the uttermost part of the earth to be, the Jews? Ethiopia, wherever that is, right? I mean, that's as far away as they could imagine a person could be that lived out there somewhere out in the world. This is what God, it's, it's more inclusive than, um, than we can imagine. God sends Philip to an Ethiopian, a black African, someone who's racially different, sexually altered, and from the uttermost, outermost region of the earth. Remember, a Jewish male would wake up every morning and he would pray this prayer, God, I thank you that you did not make me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. God, I thank you that you didn't make me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. A Jewish man would have nothing to do with a eunuch. A eunuch was a castrated man. And uh, Deuteronomy 23.1 um, tells us, I'm not gonna read it, you guys read it. Um, they were not allowed in the assembly. They were not allowed in the temple. They were not allowed to be a part of the worshiping community. But guess what? In Jesus' family, all racial, ethnic, and cultural barriers will come down. This is a passion uh, of God, right? Look at, look at Revelation 5, um, 9. In the, in the end of the Bible, it, it, it's this picture of before the throne of God, they're worshiping him. Worthy are you to take the scroll. They're worshiping Jesus. Worthy are you, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from what? Every tribe and language and people and nation. Worthy are you. It's always been God's plan. God has a passion for it. He tells Philip, 
run up to that racially, sexually, culturally, socioeconomically different man and stay close to him, right? Because he belongs to me. All racial and ethnic and cultural barriers will come down. The, the Tower of Babel, the confusion of the nations will be healed. I want you to know something. Christianity is the most inclusive faith in all of the world, and it's not even close. There's nothing like it. Do you know that every world religion is centered where it started, and that's where almost all of its adherents are. They have not spread around the world. Do you know that? Only Christianity is found in every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. Here it is. Give you the statistics. This is a, a Yale scholar uh, presents these statistics. 90%, 96% of all Muslims live in the Middle East, Africa, and South Africa. Only 4% live elsewhere. 80%, 88% of all Buddhists in East Asia. 98% of all Hindus live in India or South Asia. Now consider... 25% of all Christians are in Central South America and the Caribbean, 22% in Africa, 15% of all Christians are in Asia, the fastest growing region uh, of Christians in the world, that or Africa growing the fastest. 12% of all Christians are in um, North America and 20% are in Europe. There it is, there it is. Um, the inclusive um, God. You know, what happened to this convert? He went back to Africa, right? He was headed back to Africa when he was converted. And what happens to the gospel in Africa? Do you realize that Christianity comes from Africa? Do you know what? Realize that Africa becomes the most fertile place for Christianity the world knew. Do you realize that the first 400 years of Christianity, it's illegal, right? It's illegal in the Roman Empire. So where does it thrive? It thrives in Africa. And out of Africa comes the most theologically deep, spiritually rich Christianity out of Africa comes Tertullian, Origen, Cyprian, Augustine, Athanasia, the best of the ancient Christian church. I wanna to say to you, the best of the Christian church, not just the ancient Christian church, all the fathers of all the people you've heard of, like John Calvin and Martin Luther and all of them, all of them, where did they get it from? They got it from Africa. That's our God. God has no tolerance for any racial, ethnic, or national superiority. You know, if you don't like Asian people, and, and what a horrific spate of violence against Asian people broke out in our country over the last year or two. If you don't like Asian people, and you don't like dark-skinned people, or you don't like Jewish people, then you don't like Jesus, because he's all three. Jesus is all three. Jesus isn't a white guy, right? Jesus is all three. God's mercy is so inclusive, it makes us all uncomfortable. You realize that? I mean, he is too liberal for us. He's too liberal with his grace. A football player for the Oakland Raiders named Henry Ruggs drove his car 156 miles an hour drunk, plowed into someone, killed them, 
severely injured his girlfriend in his own car, of course imprisoned, uh, arrested, um, almost no doubt probably going to prison for years and years and years to come, uh, immediately um, fired from his job in professional football. So here's a young man who the world was his oyster and now he's ruined um, other people's lives and his own. And you know, in our culture, you hate on a person like that and you say vile things about them and what they did was vile and wrong. But you know what uh, Derek Carr, the quarterback of the Raiders said? He said, um, I love him. He needs people to love him right now. He hates himself. He needs love. And if no one else will do it, I'll do it. Does that mean he thinks he should be set free or not held account? Of course not. He's just a failure. A lot like who? Us. Who needs love. God's the message spreads all over the world because everybody's welcome in the family. And last of all, then, what's the message? Of the, 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 the messengers go out to the world with what message? Um, why is this African man reading the scroll of Isaiah so intently? What do we know about him? He has made it to the top. This African man is the CFO of Ethiopia. He is the secretary of the treasury. It is, he's come from a thousand miles away. It is at least a six-month journey by chariot uh, to get to Jerusalem where he had come. Who has the kind of wealth and prominence that they could just leave for over a year to go on a spiritual quest? That's what he's done. I mean, he is um, a prominent he is wealthy. He is well-educated. How do we know that? Because he reads. Nobody in the ancient culture could read. He reads. We know he's wealthy because he has a what? Well, he has a chariot, but he also has a scroll. Nobody owns scrolls. Scrolls were in the great libraries of the ancient um, world. They were extremely rare to have a, a scroll. So this man is on top of the social pecking order in the world. And he's paid a terrible price. He's a eunuch. Now, sexual mutilation was required to work in the royal court. Why? Because it meant you were never vying for your family's elevation. There was no nepotism. You, weren't, you, 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 you didn't favor your family over the royal um, family. It meant that you weren't a, a sexual threat to uh, any of the women in the royal household. It meant that um, you could work all the time because you had no life, because you had no family. Your, your entire life was to be devoted to the royal Family. He paid the terrible price to be mutilated to have all of this. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his future? So we learn about this man that he's deeply empty. He's taken a thousand mile journey. And what did he find when he got to Jerusalem? What did he experience? Rejection. He wouldn't even have been allowed in the temple. He got rules. Eunuchs are not welcome in the kingdom of God. And now he's headed home, dejected, empty, rejected. 
nothing to satisfy his thirst for love or family or a lasting legacy. Wondering how could I ever be acceptable to God? You know what he would have read perhaps? He would have read from, he's reading from Isaiah 53 when Philip shows up. Perhaps he read Isaiah 56 which says, the Lord will surely separate me from his people and let not the eunuch say. Do you know the Bible addresses eunuchs? Do you know that the gospel in Isaiah is for eunuchs? Eunuchs are mentioned right there. And he reads this. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me, who hold fast my covenant. To the eunuchs, the Lord says, I will give in my house, within my walls, a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give you an everlasting name. I will give you a legacy. I will give you a future, and it will never be taken away from you. No doubt he had read that, right? He read that, a promise of God to eunuchs. Now he's reading from Isaiah 53 about this enigmatic figure who voluntarily becomes a pariah, right? He's cut off, he has no wife or children, right? We read this. In humiliation, who is this sheep who was led to the slaughter? And and, and he goes voluntarily, he's silent. He doesn't defend himself. In Isaiah 53, it says, who is this person who who has no children? His life is taken away. He has no descendants. He has no heirs. Who is this, he asks Philip. And Philip tells him about Jesus. Jesus, who becomes a pariah, who gives up his life, who never gets married, who never has children. Jesus, who is mutilated and rejected in our place in our stead. Jesus, our substitute. We should have been cut off from God, but this figure you're reading about in Isaiah, he came, he was cut off instead so that we could have an eternal family, so we could have God. And the eunuch hears these words and he is what? Converted. And he is baptized. And we're gonna get to meet him someday. He finds what he traveled to the ends of the earth to find, Jesus and a family. So how about you? Have you been converted? So this woman sat in my office one day and she said, can you explain Christianity to me? So I did my best. And she only came to church one time. It was her first time, after her first time. And then she, I, I said, now go home and think about this. Pray about this. This is a big decision. You're surrendering your life. And you're going to become a follower of Jesus. And it won't be easy. So I want you to be sober. Don't just say yes. We don't want casual. And I said, go home. You think about it. You wrestle with it. And then we'll talk some more. And I'll never forget, she looked at me and she said, No. I've waited my whole life to hear this. I want Jesus now. She was converted. She's still following Jesus. A week ago, I did a memorial service for a man named Art. Art was a World War II pilot in the Pacific. He flew 139 missions. 
strafing and bombing in the Philippines and Okinawa. His daughter told me when I was preparing the memorial service that Art was an alcoholic. He struggled with alcohol all his life. They didn't have PTSD help back then, did they? When he was in his late 50s, he moved to Citrus County. He came to Seven Rivers Church. He met Jesus. He became one of our first elders. He became a founder of this church. He became the messenger. He was converted after a whole life of quenching his sorrows with alcohol. And he was converted and he became the messenger that brought the gospel to you. He founded this church. How about you? You can have everything this world has to offer, but you don't have anything until you have Jesus. If he were here, he'd reach his hand out to you. Take it. Take that hand and be converted. Let's pray to that end. Right now, don't get your stuff. Don't, don't work on your purse and your stuff. Just bow your head. If it's time for you to be converted to say yes to Jesus, just like that woman in my office, you've waited your whole life for this. Just like Chuck Colson sobbing in that car. When God comes and he knocks at the door, open the door. When God extends his hand, take his hand. Now's the time to say yes. The love of God will change everything about you. And nothing else will. He will give you the love, the father love, and the family love you've longed for your whole life. So right now, I give you the chance to say yes. Say yes to Jesus. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch 2,000 years ago, to say yes. You're the one my heart has always longed for. Say yes right now. Be converted. Tell somebody today that something new began in your life today. So Lord Jesus Christ, we remember the day you busted in and made us yours. And we rejoice for those in this room who experienced it today. And we give you honor and praise. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.